I say, Africa must wake up, the sleeping sons of Jacob, for what tomorrow may bring. May Our be dynasty on the morning bliss. Can you tell me, young ones, who are we today? Brenda Mdamo saying, Yeah, there's been a cry, many cries uh, uh, for centuries. And here we are still singing the same song, crying for the beloved land, crying for the beloved people. Uh, today on our dynasty, we are looking at a book, a book that uh, takes us uh, through the transition from apartheid to democracy. It's the title, Dodging the Civil War Bullet. Um, it tells of Nelson Mandela and, uh, you know, um, and, and his whole, you know, debates and talks with uh, the ANC and the National Party from uh, the year 1985, the year before I was born. And uh, up until, you know, the discussions around unbanning of the National uh, Liberation Movement in 1999, uh, no, I'm lying, in 1990, and uh, then moving us uh, all the way through to uh, Nelson Mandela being president and then exiting presidency in the year 1999. This book has been beautifully written, craftfully written, by... Um, Silo uh, Ledeja, who's an author, who's joining us now on uh, air. Silo has been an activist, a lifelong activist. He began his journey as a student leader in the 80s uh, when he joined a Zanian student organization at the University of the North uh, in Limpopo. And he uh, later became, you know, one of the founding members of the South African Democratic Teachers Union, SATU. And even today, he feels that there's so much that we still need to learn. Maybe it's not written in the history books. So he has written this book, Dodging the Civil War Bullet, Nelson Mandela and South Africa's Transition from Apartheid to Democracy. Silo, thank you very much for joining us. We are honored to have you with us on The Morning Bliss. Good morning. Good morning, Patricia and your listeners. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. This book is one that is very intriguing and interesting. It uh, retells of a history that little um, is really, you know, taught in our schools. And uh, books like this will really help to enlighten young ones. Take us through um, what prompted you to write this book firstly. Yeah, Patricia must confess that uh, this book is the result of an incomplete master's dissertation that I started uh, a few years ago. Could not complete for, look, a conjecture of personal circumstances. And so when I could not complete the master's degree, I said, okay, I've already written two books. While I'm dealing with these issues, why don't I just write the third book based on that uh, dissertation that I'm talking about. Because, uh, yeah, that's the reason. So I went to, to UNISA, but it's not complete, but later decided to write the book because I've always been uh, intrigued by how apartheid actually ended. If you're my age and you have lived through apartheid, it was difficult to conceive or imagine how this uh, evil system would come to an end and get us to a democratic order. Democratic order, and that's where we are right now. Tell us um, more about what's within this book, Dodging the Civil War. Okay. 
Yeah, um, yeah the, the, the story is so interesting, uh, Patricia. The, according to Neil Barnard, who was the head of national intelligence in the 1980s, the story starts uh, on a plane journey between Johannesburg and Cape Town when Winnie Mandela uh, meets with uh, the apartheid minister of presence called Kobi Kodze. And then uh, Mandela had been in prison since 1964, by the time they met in 1985. And then like a gentleman could be asked Winnie, where are you going? And Winnie says, I'm going to see my husband because he is actually in prison. It so happened that at the time, he was undergoing an, a procedure at an African hospital called Folks Hospital. So they had the chat. Ultimately, Kobe says to Winnie, okay, tell the old man I will visit him. And indeed, a few days later, the Minister of Justice shows up uh, at Mandela's ward in the hospital. And in their discussion, Mandela tells him that, uh, Minister Kudzi, your, your government is not winning. My party, the African National Congress, is also not winning. This thing is like a draw. So for the sake of the people of South Africa, let us start talking to each other in order to evade a catastrophe. And indeed, Gobi Kudzi talks to his boss, P.W. Bertha. And from then onwards, a secret channel of communication is established between Mandela and the apartheid government. And I must emphasize, Patricia, when this channel is established, Mandela actually talks to the government without informing Oliver Tambu, who was the president of the ANC based in Lusaka, does not even inform his comrades at Pulse Molag, Altasisulu, and Amkatrada, and decides to go on a single and, and perilous journey to explore negotiations with the enemy and as they say the rest is the rest is history because after that the the process went even overseas where Tamumbeki started talking to academics from um, the University of Stellenbosch that were also sent by national intelligence to explore possibilities of a negotiated settlement with the ANC in exile. So what happens is that ultimately, 1992, the 2nd of February, FWD Tlerigan bans the liberation movements because of the progress in those negotiations. And then, yeah, for some of us who are alive at the time, it was a dream that the ANC that some of us went into detention for was unbanned and we could just be members like most NC people are today, even the young ones who'd never know about this history. And what happens also is that in the next four years, between 1990 and 1994, there is, you know, extreme violence in this country, especially between supporters of the ANC and the supporters of the Inkata Freedom Party. But ultimately, 27 April 1994 is written in gold. We'll all vote black and white for a democratic government which was led by Nelson Mandela, who then leads the country out of apartheid for five years. And in 1999, in a famous speech in Parliament, he says, don't call me, 
I will call you when he decides to, to resign. But the significance of this is that he did not even ask for a second term, which was rare in Africa at the time. Well, still is. <laughs> still is. <laughs> Very rare. Um, but yeah. in, in, in this book, you really go through um, Nelson Mandela's leadership uh, style and the complexities he faced um, in having to lead from that 1985 up until 1999. Can you take us through some of uh, you know, the critical um, moments that shaped his leadership? You see, the, the 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 life of Nelson Mandela is it's it's something out of this world. You know, if you know how in nineteen uh, in the forties he joined the NCU clique, obviously. But the important thing is that in nineteen fifty two, he was actually in the Transvaal the volunteer in chief of a campaign uh, uh, to defy the defense campaign. The campaign was simply to say. We no longer recognize all apartheid laws that uh, dictated to us that we couldn't go to go into a toilet because that toilet was reserved for whites only. Couldn't use the same couch, couch in the train because it's reserved for whites only. Well, for it, the young people, I think this is inconceivable that there was a time when South Africa had a situation whereby whites had had their own public facilities. Blacks, uh, 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 they're old, you know. So in 1952, the NC launched a defense campaign which was led by Nelson Mandela. That's number one. Number two, when the liberation movements were banned in 1960 after the Sharpeville massacre, the NC was at the crossroads. It was unclear how to wage the struggle for it because they were used to marching and sending petitions. And then it became clear to the party that the only solution at the time was armed struggle. And once again, Nelson Mandela answered and became the first commander-in-chief of Mukonto Wesizwe. And that meant he had to go outside of the country to get training in places like Tunisia and Ethiopia so that he could come back. And now not march or, or send a petition, but to use the weaponry to fight the apartheid regime. Those were perilous moments for him. But for me, the riskiest thing he ever did was to decide to speak with the apartheid regime alone. And Patricia, I mean alone. If you read this part, it's mind-chilling. How can a man who has fought for his people all along and was in, in Portsmouth with his uh, colleagues decide that this time I am going to engage the regime alone? In his book, A Long Walk to Freedom, he actually answers it very well. He says, had he asked the ANC to start negotiations in 1985, they would have refused because they would have seen to have been failing in their armed struggle at the time. And he tried to talk to, and he uh, allowed the NC to try and talk to the National Party. The National Party would not have agreed because the white electorate that voted for the National Party would have seen the National Party as giving in to terrorists. So Mandela did something that was extraordinary. That was risky, and we thank God that it was that risk that led that led to the end of apartheid. 
So there's, there, there's a lot uh, to be said by about uh, Nelson Mandela as a leader in dodging the Civil War bullet, the book that you've written. Um, tell us about um, what you narrate around the National Party, um, which yes. also saw itself bending from its stance. That's very interesting, Patricia, because I'm going to talk about uh, one of the most hated men in the history of this country called Peter Willem Buerta, P.W. Buerta. When the country really became ungovernable, especially in 1985, after Oliver Tambert called for the young lions in this country to make the country ungovernable and apartheid unworkable, P.W. Buerta was at the head of the apartheid regime. But Buerta himself had realized that apartheid was unsustainable. And why do I say that? Because in 1979, he actually appointed a 29-year-old professor from the University of the Free State to, read, to, to, to lead the, nation, the National Intelligence Service of, of, of the apartheid government. You know? And that young professor is still alive somewhere in the Western Cape called Dr. Neil Barnett, who became the officially the head of national intelligence on the 1st of June, 1980. The same day that uh, Banimolokwana hit two social centers in South Africa, and for four weeks, there was a lot of burning of, 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 of fuel in, in, in the area. Uh, when when Buerta realized that apartheid was unsustainable, he really wanted something to be done. But he himself found it very difficult to talk to the enemy, which at the time would be the liberation movement, especially the NC. So what happened, he spoke to Kobi Kodzi that I've referred to, as well as uh, Nelbana to say, look, I am going to give you permission to start talking to the ANC, but I don't even want my cabinet to know about it. It is such a risky enterprise that if it were to be known at the time, he would have faced a reaction from the white electorate that probably could have removed him from power. So Kovikudzi and Neil Barnett had to work uh, authorized by, by P.W. Bota to start this secret talks with the ANC. And, as, and this is important to note, these were two twin parallels to negotiations. The first one, it was with Nelson Mandela in prison, and he was actually talking to them wearing prison caps while they were actually wearing suits. But because, uh, especially Neil Bernard realized that it would not be helpful to just talk to an individual when the NC is not brought into the loop. And uh, they identified a few Africana professors, including Professor Esther Eze and Professor uh, Tara Blanche, to start talking to the ANC in England. And the NC England, the, the, the team that spoke to the Africaners in England was led by Tabon Beke, who was instructed by Oliver Tambo to begin those secret talks with the Africaners, you know. And Tabon Beke himself had strict orders from Oliver Tambo that you're going to have a small team of, of two to three people. And I don't want the NEC of the ANC to know about these secret talks because uh, people would think that we are now failing in the arms struggle and now are rushing to speak to the enemy. So Tabombeki started speaking to the African academics 
which had been sent by the national intelligence to 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 those talks and yes it is very interesting also to know that when that happened people like joe slovo and chris honey were not uh, brought into the loop they did not officially know that tabombeg was talking to the enemy in fact chris honey i think caught it up somewhere and asked tambo what's happening why is Mbeki not in the national working committee meeting and when Tambo could not give an answer, I said, yeah, but I'm, wait, I'm told that he's talking to the Africaners. So I'm trying to show you how perilous the process was that P.W. Buta could not bring his cabinet into the picture and Liba Tambo could not bring the NEC into the picture. Only a few men, to be honest, and there were no women involved in this thing, were allowed to talk to each other in order to end apartheid peacefully. This is a must-read, I'm telling you. It's a must-read if you'd like uh, to get to know the, the leadership style and uh, who was involved in this transition um, uh, from apartheid to democracy. Thank you so very much, um, uh, Silo, for joining us and sharing with us uh, the contents of your book. Uh, you've enticed our A-teamers. How do uh, they get hold of your book? Yeah, uh, the good news is that uh, two days from now on Thursday, we are launching the book at Constitution Hill in, in Bramfontein. And it is already in some selected uh, bookshops. Uh, an announcement will be made in, uh, on, on, on Thursday about the, all the other bishops that are involved. But like I say, fortunately, we are launching it at Constitution Hill. And, and Patricia, before you go, this is very important. That Constitution Hill in Bramfontein, it was a prison that was converted later into Constitution Hill. And that's where people like Mandela were kept before they went to Robben Island. So we are calling all those who are able to do so to share with us on, on, on Thursday the launching of the book. And I thank you. And where do people uh, get more information of times and um, yeah, books? Oh, it is. Yes, it is. It will be at half past five on, 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 on Thursday, the 12th of October at Constitution Hill. Um, my publisher will probably produce a link. I did not check out that one with him, you know, uh, uh, quickly. But uh, uh, if, if if you go to Facebook and look for Dodging the Civil, the bullet, you will be able to find it. Excellent. Thank you so very much. That is author and a lifelong activist, Silo Lidecha.